This is part three of walking with God. And so we started off two weeks ago, uh, two Sundays ago, we were talking about uh, walking with God. And two weeks ago, we were talking about how Enoch went through a profound change at 65 years old and his remaining 300 years that that, uh, he walked with God the 300 years that he walked with God, even, even as the earth was growing more and more violent and, and nearing the time of Noah, he walked with God through some of the worst times this earth has ever had. And God then took him alive to heaven. And we talked about that a lot two weeks ago. Now, I want you to be aware that even during Jesus' time, Enoch was widely known as a prophet of God. And he was a prophet and a seer from ancient times, going clear back to just just after Adam and Eve. And he's referenced even in the book of Jude in verses 14 and 15. So if you're curious about some of the things that he said, there's some references to some of the visions that he had going way back. So it isn't like Enoch was an unusual person. He was unusual in the sense that he walked with God. And it's very, very precise and very definite and it's very specific. Last week, that was two weeks ago, last week I referred to Joseph and Daniel. I brought out that there was nothing negative written in the Bible about them. They were not perfect by any means. But throughout their lives, they were deeply committed friends of God. And they walked with God. They were filled with worship and prayer and prophecy as God fellowshiped with them. And throughout their lives, they both contended with Multiple seasons of persecution, and if you've ever read the stories of Joseph and Daniel, they went through a lot of things, and they never relented in their commitment to God, and they came through with victory upon victory upon victory. Amen? Which brings us to a question, as I'm getting started. How were Enoch, Joseph, and Daniel any different from who we are as Christians and saved in our Lord Jesus Christ? They were different because they each had responded to God's call, his invitation to walk with him as a friend. And at some junction in their life, they chose the upward higher call and never turned around from their upward journey. Amen. God calls. Calls all. But not all respond. They laid down their life and declared before God, you are welcome in my heart. And they declared in spirit, I choose to walk with you. Now, I want you to be aware. And and Tina brought up an excellent example of someone who is completely lost and befuddled because they don't understand who Jesus is. The unsaved of this world do not have such a call or have a choice to walk with God. It is not possible from themselves to God. It must come through Jesus. Amen. Which means that only those saved in Jesus. Receive such a call and an invitation from God. To begin to travel the higher road up his mountain. And I'll put it like this. Nice and blunt. All of you are called. But not all of you will make the choice. To walk the higher walk with God. Because it is the sacrifice is very costly. Doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means that you choose not to walk that because you've assessed the price and the cost, just as we talked about missionaries this morning. 
and you've said, no, I don't know that I can do that at this time. God will not leave you be. He will continue to call you because he wants all to walk up his mountain even higher. Amen? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You come up to a level plateau that I referred to two weeks ago, and you stay on that plateau for a long time. That's not sinful. It's just a waiting time until God calls you up the higher road. We're going to begin in Matthew 21, 12, and 13, and this is titled House of Prayer. This is not the main scripture that we're going to be using, but it is going to be a start. Matthew 21, 12, and 13. And I'll go ahead and, uh, um, and read you out of the English Standard Version. I'm going to use a bunch of different translations this morning. Jesus entered the temple. He's come down off of uh, the uh, Mount of Olives. He is, he's traveled down through the Kidron Valley. He's riding uh, the donkey, and he's coming into the temple. This is on uh, uh, Palm Sunday, a week before he's going to be crucified. And so what he's done is he's entered through the, uh, the Golden Gate, and he's come up into the temple, and now he's entered the temple, and he's drove out all those who sold and bought in the temple. They were actually buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers, a den of thieves. Jesus is quoting two passages of Scripture, Isaiah 56, 7, which says, even those, who, who I, I will, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. And then he also quotes Jeremiah 7, 11, and it says, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. House of prayer. The original word there, and I'm not going to go into all the Greek translation things, but, but I will tell you the original Greek word is translated, could be just as easily translated from prayer and translated as worship. It's that close together. It could have been called a house of worship, but it's called a house of prayer. But even more, it would be more accurate to call it, my house should be called a house of prayerful worship, wrapped, wrapped in unhindered friendship and fellowship. Speaking and listening as God and you are communing together, but not necessarily presenting a list of petitions before God. In other words, not coming to God saying, well, you know, I've got all these concerns, I've got all these things. No, that's not, that's not what's, what's being referenced here by our Lord Jesus. And I want to expand on what Jesus is telling us about a house of prayer so that we can gain an understanding what, truly, what it truly encompasses to walk with God. By taking you through Isaiah 66, verse 1 and verse 2, where God is speaking to all mankind, all mankind, doing so through the ages and across the ages for the last 2,700 years with these words that have been written by Isaiah up to the current time, even at 11.15 this morning. So in Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, we'll take the first half of verse 2, and then uh, when we do this, hang on just a second. 
Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, that is, into existence, declares the Lord. We'll stop right there. God created the entire universe. All heaven and all earth and everything in it. His throne, his throne is the earth and it is his footstool and subjected to him. He created all of it. We need only to look at the heavens above. And when I say this, uh, when you look at, at a sunset as was described in Hawaii, and I took a, a photo of the sunrise the other morning and sent it out to, to the, uh, the family uh, text message group that we have. And because it was so extraordinary. Different things that I've seen, you know, whether it's the moon or the stars or the, the northern lights, uh, rainbows, like my daughter pointed out the other uh, was Tuesday. She said, look up there right between those mountains. There's a, you can see a faint trace of a rainbow up there. How can that be? There's no rain up there. She, I said, it's snow crystals. So what she was seeing was a snow crystal rainbow that lasted for just a short time. But her eye caught that, and she says, look at that. And I wondered at that moment, how many people really saw that? But it was profound. God is always speaking through us, through his creation. Amen? In fact, this is what he says from Scripture. In, in Psalm 50, verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness, out of the English Standard Version. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanses, declaring the work of his hands, out of the New American Standard and, and out of the King James in Psalm 8, 1, our Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, amen. I know many of you have been in the woods when the sun's filtering down and through and you've got a moment of quiet and maybe the birds are singing, maybe they're not, but it just feels like you're in the very temple of God at that moment. It's like, wow, this is really a cool place. Consider with me what God is asking then in Isaiah 66, 1. Because, because what it says right here is heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is there a place that I, must re that I may rest? <clears throat> what can man create and build that would be a worthy dwelling place? This is what God's asking, a comfortable dwelling place for God. For this is what God is asking mankind. Where then is a house? Where is a, a place that I may rest, God asks. He rested on the seventh day, we read, when, when he created, when he finished his creation work. And yet, we find in Isaiah and even this very morning that God is looking for a place to dwell and to rest and be refreshed. Amen. He's looking for a place to dwell and to rest and to be refreshed. But not to rest in the way mankind would think of, such as zoning out. None of you have ever zoned out. Yeah, I, that zoning out is like, I don't like this. I'm just going to blank out for a little bit. And I'm going to rest my mind. And uh, zoning out or, or sleeping or absolutely doing nothing. You know, my cats and dog hate it when I just go sit in a chair. I'm going to go, okay, I'm just going to rest here for a moment. Uh, that is when they decide they want 10,000 paws of love. Ah, okay, so go away, you know. 
No, God's rest is like the one who is spending time with a friend. Hear me close here. A dear friend. A true friend. A friend who would lay their life down for you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A friend who is easy to be with. One who demands little from you. One who pours out much into you. And we enjoy and love to be in their presence. Because it is so refreshing and so restful and so peaceful and fulfilling and ever joyful to us. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? That kind of friendship. This is what God is looking for. That as we walk with him as his friend, as we live out our lives, that he could rest and be refreshed and receive much poured forth to him from you and I. Let me say that again, that he could be rested, refreshed, receive much that is poured forth to him from you and I. As I wrote that, as the Holy Spirit was leading me to write it, I stopped and I wrote these words. One word, I just put amazing. That's amazing. Think about that. How can such a thing be? God is God. Amen? Does everybody agree? God is God. Amen? He is immense. He is all in all. We might even be thinking, I'm created by Him. There's no one higher than He is. Yes, He is God, absolutely. Yet, though He is God Most High, the Almighty God, look again with me at the place He desires for a home his restful dwelling place that he is seeking. And consider and focus on what is being said here. Because God can create anything. And he has created everything. But the one thing that he desires is a place that he has decided must be brought about by another who would freely desire to do so by giving a place for God to come into. Someone who is willingly gives of themselves to God our Father, bowing before Him as our Lord God describes in the second part of verse 2. So go back to Isaiah 66, 1, and we're going to look at the second part of verse 2. <clears throat> but to this one I will look, to the one who is humble and contrite of spirit, and trembles at my word. This is where God is looking for a home. A place where he can rest. For when he says, but to this one I will look. He's not speaking of a place. A building. A physical monument. But rather he is looking for a home and a place of rest. Within the very people whom he has created. Looking to the one he has who has chosen to lay their life down and instead would desire to walk with God. So let's take this up a little higher up the mountain of God. For in the same manner that <laughs> if I were to ask you about your home, that, that you would describe your home to me in great detail, okay? And in the same manner that, that, uh, that we would describe our houses to someone, God describes specifically in three parts the home he desires describing it in very stark yet very simple detail so all would understand. And so going back to that last half of verse 2, this is what he says, but to this one I will look, 
one who is humbled, some translations say poor in spirit, one who is contrite, that is broken in spirit, and one who trembles and is in awe of God's word, that is his voice, his spoken voice and his written voice, that is both, that is what that's saying. Now, be aware, and I want you to realize, one such as this, that is, and I'm gonna. That is humble. That is poor in spirit, contrite, broken in spirit, trembles in awe at God's word. That one is really truly blessed beyond measure, because such a one has become already a house, a spiritual house made ready to to become a welcome home for the presence of God. Uh, okay, that I said, Lord, that doesn't make sense. As I was going through and putting this together. I says, how can, that, how can that be? Because looking at the list of qualities, it appears that the very ones that God is seeking are the very ones with the greatest need from Him. Where, where can there be any rest for God in such, in such a one? And it would seem that, that He would want someone who is strong and secure. Amen? Uh, no, that's a good question. It was a fair question. So, this is how the Holy Spirit spoke back to me. We must turn from the world and ask God for eyes of wisdom to see beyond what we see. For there's a common theme in all of these qualities that God desires for one to become a house made ready for His presence and a place that He may fellowship and rest, a place in which He can commune without reservation with one of His created beings as they walk together. All Three conditions. In all three of these conditions, our personal self has been laid down. And a room has been opened up in spirit for God to enter in. In all three of these conditions that we're going to go over, that God has laid out as he describes the house he's looking for, and those that want to walk with him, our personal self has been laid down and a room has been opened up for God to enter in. Look at the first of the three conditions. One who is humble, poor in spirit. Jesus declared in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, many say. One who is humble and poor in spirit. One who has been browbeat and mocked and treated with contempt by Satan the devil. Again and again and again. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Until they come into a place of spiritual poverty. What does spiritual poverty mean? It means there's nothing left in you. It means that you've hit, a, you've hit the wall like a marathon runner and said, I can't go any further. You literally are collapsing and you are done. And in that place, you've come into the place where you are blessed because you can now enter the kingdom of heaven in a way that God would desire. Any kind of other entry is a qualified entry. That is a full entry. In other words, there's nothing left of you, only God coming in you. Oh, but be aware. Be 
aware and beware, the deceiver, the devil, evil Satan, the dragon destroyer would add insult to injury, saying to such a one who is wiped out, well, pick yourself up and change direction. God helps those who help themselves. Would you like a comment on that? That is so much hogwash. That statement is an evil deception, and it's not from Scripture. You won't find it in the Bible. You won't even find it in the Koran, the Muslim Bible. It's not there because it's an old spoken cultural saying that was written down a long time ago and entered into people's conversation, and Ben Franklin wrote it down and put it in the Poor Richard's Almanac in the late 1700s, and everybody thinks it's in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. I had that given to me when I was in Sunday school. That's what I think of that. We need to check out what we quote and believe. One of the first things I looked for, I was getting ready to write my first sermon. I thought, oh, I'm going to use that. Where is that in the Bible? And it wasn't in the Bible. I thought, where is that? That's not in the Bible. This is before the Internet. I thought, where did that come from? I went through encyclopedias. I went through everything I could, and I, that's where I found out what the truth was. It was just an old cultural saying, like we have cultural sayings, and it was written down. Be cautious what you believe. God's desire is that in such a place of spiritual poverty, when we are so empty there's nothing left in us, that, he would, that we would turn in Jesus' name to our Lord God, and we would lean on Him each day and each hour and even moment to moment. I used to do that when I was operating, and all hell was breaking loose in a unit, and I knew that if I got away from me, it was going to explode and kill me and about two or three hundred other people, not counting destroying half the community. Nothing like an ammonia plant going off all at once. I mean, they're really exciting. <laughs> not really. <laughs> They're just extremely intense. And in all things, large and small, he wants us to rely on him. There is nothing too large and nothing too small that God isn't concerned when it comes to us. Thus, we would never come up empty if we rely on our Lord in everything. Amen? Never come up empty because God is faithful and truly he cares about us. That self would be willingly laid down and that God would find a welcome place within us to dwell and find the rest and refreshment and friendship and fellowship that he, our Lord God, desires. Look at the second of these three conditions. Contrite, broken in spirit. Contrite. That is not just a description. That is an action. I don't want you to think that's just a description of something. It is describing an action that takes place. It is an honest realization of who we are before God, that, that we are, and, and who we are supposed to be before God. Some of you know what I'm talking about, that you thought you were doing mighty fine until the Holy Spirit said, have you taken a good look in the mirror lately to see who you really are? And then you realize... Or no, better yet, <laughs> you've got a good friend that you say, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. And they go, well, you don't agree? Well, do you want an honest answer? <laughs> and then they give you an honest answer and you find out that maybe you weren't doing near as good as you'd been deceived into thinking you were doing. Amen? I won't ask for a show of hands on that one. 
I've only gone through that about a couple hundred times. Every time I think I'm arriving, it's like the Lord said, <clears throat> yeah, well, you're just barely getting there, buddy. And so <laughs> it's like, let's start over again. It's a vivid awareness of the sin and pride that still remain in us. And it's such a place of awareness, we soon realize that we are separated from God and even worse, that we have hurt God. And our spirit becomes broken within us for our lack of fellowship with God. And we are brought into a genuine repentance and contrition that is a contrite place. You know, nearly 300 years before Isaiah prophesied, this is going back 3,000 years, David wrote these words that are as applicable today as they were when David wrote them. Psalm 5117, it's out of the New American Standard. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. When we come before the Lord and we realize that we have failed Him, or we have failed others, and in essence, we have failed God. And we're broken, and there's nowhere to go, because we are, we are literally just a mess. I don't know if all of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. Everybody in here will experience that at some time. And you'll have to go to your knees, and you'll say, Lord, help me. I didn't even say forgive me. It was just, Lord, help me. I failed you. That's what David's talking about here. He wrote this after he had already had an affair with Bathsheba and then killed her husband. And God turned around and rescued him. Same thing with Moses after Moses beat a man to death with his bare fists. Same thing. Same thing with Paul after Paul had, had stood there holding all the robes and laughing as Stephen is being the, martyred with rocks thrown on him. Our little sins may seem like much. Theirs were great, and yet God had mercy on them. Amen? We're not to continue, however, though, in our sinful ways in any measure. Nothing. Compromising, giving up, trying to change, self-justifying our sinful ways, accommodating them, retaining them, or even worse, as some, even entertaining them as our own private place of relaxation, diversion, and self-pleasure. No, 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 no. Get rid of the sin. Start walking in the, in the Lord God. Amen? Sin is a destroyer and it's like a great big vacuum and just sucks the life right out of you. It's like a lamprey eel. It grabs hold of you and it just... How'd you like that? That's pretty good. I had to practice that all week. <laughs> you know, God cannot find home in such a person. They're so unstable. They got a foot in both worlds. That's what James said in chapter 1. They have not committed themselves fully to God in His path of life. They are contentious. They're prideful. Why? They self-justify themselves and they hate themselves because they are constantly receiving a witness of the fact that they're not owning up to what they proclaim. Their life is filled with their own personally chosen retained sins and they leave God no room to enter in and rest. God won't give up and Satan keeps pestering them. Rather, we are to ask God as David did in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God. Know my heart. I, I'm not going to tell you to do that unless you, and pray that unless you really mean it because he will. 
And he then flashes it up there in the heavens like a big marquee. Well, this is Henry, and this is who he is. Oh, what did I just ask? And everybody can see it. All the angels look at it. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. Now we know who you are, buddy, you know. So God has a bad habit of calling me buddy. So, my friend. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. That is, test me and see if I am who I proclaim to be. See if there's any hurtful, wicked, grievous, nasty, sinful way in me. I added a little bit there. (laughs) And lead me in the way everlasting or eternal. Amen. You know, the devil, Satan, would have us to view ourselves through his distorted, twisted lens of deception and spiritual confusion. But when we make the choice to come into such a place of viewing ourselves through God's eyes, like David did, we shall become broken, for we shall see who we really are before our Lord God. And in our brokenness and repentance before him, the floodgate of God's grace will open and And his spiritual river of mercy will pour over us and we will be restored. Amen. And then God will enter into us fully. And for within us he will have found a home. A welcome place for him to dwell and a place that he may find rest and refreshment and fellowship. And at such a time we will truly begin to walk with God. So we have been through two things so far. One who is humble and poor in spirit and one who is contrite and broken in spirit. Let's look at the third one. Because God gives three qualities. And this is the third one. One who trembles and is in awe of God's word. That's both his voice spoken to us and his voice written down that we can come to read in the Bible. I would ask this. There's a lot of people that read the Bible, but it's an intellectual reading. They just read the Bible because it's either history or it's entertaining or it's uh, academic and they want to read it and they, they want to see what it is. But do we read our Bible in such a way that we begin to tremble at God's voice? That when we read the passages that we realize, this is my Lord God speaking to me. Am I listening to him? Can I do the things that Jesus spoke? Because that was God speaking in Jesus and he was telling you the truth of all eternity right there. There's no compromise in this. This is is the truth of eternity. This is truth that is outside outside of creation. Creation, you have eternity and creation is sitting in here like this. Being held up by God's hand. And when he spoke truth, and we have it written down through the prophets, and we have, we have Jesus speaking truth and the things that he thought were most important for us to hear, what is happening is God is allowing his word, his desire, what he wants to see happen, come forth and land inside of creation so that we have, can avail ourselves and know what it is so that we can go ahead and walk this world in him in such a way that we are pleasing to him. I stand in awe of that. I cannot begin to tell you how much it is amazing to me that God would speak to us. I don't read it academically. I read it as my friend, my Lord God, my Jesus, my Lord Holy Spirit, 
sharing with me something that he wants me to know that I can tell others. It's like he's speaking a secret to me every time. And I don't look at it as just words. I look at it as priceless jewels that I've been given that are beyond any kind of thing that has value in this world. Because it's like when I went through cancer, I only stood on a few words, but it carried me all the way through. By his stripes, I'm healed. That was truth. From outside creation, from the Lord's throne of our Lord God, pouring in, saying, young man, Hang on to this because it will carry you through. But then I would ask, perhaps you don't tremble at God's voice. So I would ask this, has the voice of this present world crowded him out? Perhaps a better question would be, can we even hear God? Can we truly hear him? Do we listen for him? Consider, God speaks to us, and I reference this, the creator of the entire universe, whether spoken, some of you have heard God speak. Or whether written, some of you have felt his presence coming through his words as God desires to speak to us. Do we stand in awe of such a thought? I'm going to say this again, such a thing happening, that God would speak to us as individuals. We may not think we're important, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you how important you are. The Lord God of all eternity created you. He knew you before you were ever created. He knew who you were going to be. He's got your life written in a book. He knows you. He has created you. He is, he is doing everything He can to bring you into the place He's already designated for you. You are more important to Him than anything you can even begin to fathom and imagine. You are invaluable. He's not lost you. He walks with you and he wants to reside within you. Amen? Do not let this voice of this present world and personal wants and cravings and demands corrupt his words or even bluntly crowd him out. Begin to listen for him. Our God desires to guide us and reassure us and encourage us at all times. All times. In Psalm 119, I'm going to give you a different way of looking at this. <clears throat> the, thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. I oftentimes talk about it's so long, you can see the light out there and you can see the path that he lights up. But this is also talking about long-term and short-term goals. I'm up today, Lord, and I'm awake today. Light my path today so that I know how to walk it out. But Lord, I have these plans that I'd like to do. And I, I, I have these things that are, that are on my heart. Be a light out there that guides me so that I am not distracted because I don't want to be distracted. Why do I say that? Because if I draw a straight line, the further out that I get, a little change in here of distraction causes a great big variance out there. Some of you who have drawn, tried to draw straight lines in carpentry know exactly what I'm talking about. A little change here causes a great big change out there, and suddenly you go... That house don't look level. What's the matter with that thing? My foundation didn't come out right. I'm not saying anybody in here ever did that. Okay. His voice. Psalm 29.4. Powerful and majestic, guiding us through the storms of life. It says that his voice will break the cedars and break the rocks. 
His voice will guide us through the storms of life. Just like I referenced cancer, one verse. One, what, the one-fourth of that entire verse 5 was what carried me all the way through the storm of life that I was in. I only had 25% of it on that whole verse, and that's what carried me through. Think about that. That's how powerful that was. But his voice is also like a soft, gentle breeze. 1 Kings 19, 13. It's comforting and assuring, as with Elijah, who was spiritually broken in a cave of rest up in Mount Horeb. A lot of big, big things went by that day. Big wind was blowing, breaking rocks. The, the fire was burning outside and all kinds of stuff. And then it was said, the still, small voice of God came forth and said, Elijah, what are you doing? Why are you resting here? It's time to get busy. I've got work for you to do. Come on, let's go. And that's how he said it. You can read it. I still am amazed at how that response was. He never, he never condemned Elijah for hiding out. He never condemned him for running away from fear and, and fearful, uh, uh, afraid of Jezebel and, and Ahab. He, he never did any of that. It was just like a parent coming up to a young child saying, why are you hiding behind a chair? My parents did that with me one time when I was very young. They put me on medication that just went... It, I hate any kind of medication. This put me in such a fearful place that I still have memories of what took place. And they found me hiding behind a chair. I said, there's people in here trying to kill you. There's all kinds of stuff. There's monsters. And I started describing everything. I was about five years old. Most terrifying thing I've ever had. I can't even begin to explain it to you. It would, I don't think about it often. But they came up and they said, come on, come on, you'll be fine. I think they let me get in bed with them. <laughs> and so, and that's God. We fall into a trap and Satan is just taking us to task. And he says, don't worry, I'm here, I'll take care of you and I'll see you through. And suddenly that peace that we talked about this morning begins to flood our soul and everything changes. I know my Lord is with me. Why should I even fear? Amen? I hate fear. I know what fear does to people. Don't fear. Know that God is with you. Amen? You know, God speaks. But instead, instead we say, oh, that was just my mind. No, God speaks. And, and then we go, oh, well, that's just my conscience speaking to me. no. God speaks. Perhaps more likely it was the voice of God that you heard. Not, not a voice in your head. Not some random thoughts. Not your conscience uh, uh, doing all kinds of things. Or maybe it wasn't that little devil sitting on your shoulder. You know. Take your shoulders, everybody, and just go, get out of here. You know? God speaks. And is trying desperately to enter in within you. To bring forth sincere and deep felt friendship within you. To guide and reassure you and help you along the way as he desires to walk together with you each moment of your daily life. God spoke as a friend with Adam and Eve. Uh, and, he, and he did that before their fall. And he did that after their fall. He took care of them. He made this first sacrifice and made skins of, uh, into leather for them so that they had a covering. Think about that. 
How would you like to be wearing the garment that God made himself with his own hands? I thought about that. I thought, wow, that'd be really cool. You know, where'd you get that fine-looking leather coat, Henry? Man, that is so nice. He said, yeah, you ought to see what's on the back. God reigns, okay. <laughs> he spoke with Noah. He spoke with Enoch. He spoke with Elijah. He spoke with Abraham. He spoke with Moses and with Peter and Paul and John and many others. And God he desires to speak to each one of you this morning. All the way from Sam, clear all the way over to Christopher and Debbie and, and in the back with Nicole and Taylor, amen. Not leaving you out, Vi and Trudy, okay? And pause. And clear over there, back there, Dawn, in the corner. He desires to speak to each one of you. And I will say again, do you personally stand in awe that God, who has created this entire universe, would care for us and desire to personally speak to us and desires to walk with us and share each moment in our life with us? Amen. We are told by Jesus, and I'm going to be done here in just a moment, we are told by Jesus to have ears to hear. Ask God in Jesus' name to give you such ears so that you are enabled to hear God speaking to you and recognize his voice. God desires to enter into fellowship with you as a friend that within, within you, as you walk with him, he would find a welcome home that has been swept clean, made ready for him to enter. How do I mean by swept clean and made ready for you to enter, for him to enter, is that you have died to self. And said, I no longer want to serve myself. I only want to serve you in all that I do. Swept clean of self. Swept clean of the worldly things. And said, Lord, here I am. Use me. Amen. Made ready for him to enter. A humble place of fellowship for him to dwell. That he would find rest and refreshment. <clears throat> I want to read Isaiah 66 one again. And then I'm going to close. There's a couple words. So Isaiah 66.1 goes like this. Out of the New American Standard. Sixty-six one and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me, and where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him or her who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Each one here who has been reborn in salvation through Christ Jesus are like unto houses under construction. Give thought to who you are and what you do from day to day as you live out your life. And then ask yourself, what house am I building for God? Ask yourself, am I a house under construction to myself? Or have I come into a place of brokenness before God? And in my brokenness have I begun preparing a home where God will feel welcome. A home where he would desire to dwell. A place where I could walk with him together in the upward journey 
doing so until the day that he would call me home to heaven to spend eternity with him in his presence forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand and we'll have a closing prayer. You get Sister Tammy next week. She's going to come in here and she's going to preach hellfire and brimstone. Amen. Okay, that should be good. I know Tammy. She's got a good message. Amen. So, Lord, I just ask your mighty hand of blessing upon these who love you. For, Lord, each one in here is here this morning because they love you with all their heart, mind, and soul. And, Lord, every one of them have open hearts that just want to go into a deeper place with you. And they want to answer the higher call. So, Lord, I ask that you would not give up on them, but, Lord, that you would talk to each one individually at the place they are at, Lord, and that you would bring them along the path. Lord, some will climb a high mountain, some will climb a lower mountain, but, Lord, I see each one in spirit as I was speaking this morning, all desiring to move a little closer to you, Lord, and begin to walk with you. So, Lord, may they be blessed and may they become a blessing And may you be blessed, our Lord God, in this congregation, in this group of people, this group of Christian brothers and sisters who love you dearly in Jesus' name. To you be all the glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.